This is your Green Tech Update on Green Design. My name is Lyle Soliates. I speak with Carl Sterner about his experiences at Greenbuild 2013, and we talk about passive house design. Look at the bunny. Oh, it's so energy efficient. So you were saying that you uh, did, did Green Build, and uh, I was uh, looking at Guillaume's uh, Twitter feed a little bit, and looks like uh, you made a little bit of splash with uh, Persifera. We did, or I, I guess more um, uh, more accurately, Ed Mazria made a little bit of slash, uh, splash for us. Famous um, architect, Ed, Ed Mazria. Yes, he's a famous architect and founder of the uh, 2030 Challenge, which is a, a voluntary challenge that his organization initiated in 2006 um, to have architects design net zero energy buildings by 2030. And uh, what he did was that he gave a master um, speaker presentation at Greenbuild. And uh, he gave us a very prominent shout out, which we very much appreciated, um, for one of the new features that we just released, which is um, real-time energy analysis within the architect's design tool. So they're literally designing the building, they're pushing and pulling, they're making changes, they're adding glass, they're adding shading, and in real time, they can see the impact of those design decisions on the energy performance of the building. Um, and the thing that Ed was very excited about was that uh, we built directly into the apps interface a benchmark of uh, the 2030 challenge goals. Um, so right away, architects can see uh, how close they are to hitting those goals and if the moves they're making are getting them toward uh, that goal. You mentioned you saw some exciting things while you were there. Uh, any, any, uh, any standouts that would be of interest to the, the, the average viewer? Viewer, listener, let's say listener. Oh, I, I, listener, listener. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great conference. Tons of stuff. Um, there were three trends that really stood out to me, or three themes that I felt like were just everywhere throughout the conference that everyone was talking about. Um, the first of them was just this idea of net zero energy design, and that it's actually not as hard as everyone thought it was going to be. So we're talking about buildings here that are uh, essentially consuming zero energy, or in some cases, producing more energy than they actually use. And the formula, I went to several presentations where they were talking about um, net zero energy design, and the formula actually seemed fairly straightforward. Um, it was have the right levels of insulation, um, have very good air tightness, of the building so that you're not getting you know a lot of air leaking through windows and around cracks and you know where you're not wanting it to escape um, and then do something called heat recovery ventilation um, so that when you're exhausting stale air from the building you're recovering some of the heat from that air so you're not just you know, losing it to the outside um, and those three things together allow you essentially you have a very tight well insulated building and so you then have very low energy use and it allows you to have a much smaller mechanical system than you would otherwise. And the cost savings from that small mechanical system oftentimes makes up for all the improvements you had to do for the envelope. So it actually doesn't end up costing that much more than typical construction. 
and is more comfortable. And yes, exactly. So that was one theme, this net zero energy design uh, is coming. Architects are now sort of thinking, this is here, let's, let's now shoot for net positive. I even, I heard some people talking about that now. Right. And uh, second theme was life cycle assessment of building materials. So that's actually looking at the embodied impact of producing a thing like a brick um, from extracting the raw materials all the way through the end of its life and actually quantifying that and, and trying to pick building materials that have lower uh, embodied impacts like embodied carbon or embodied energy. Hmm. Um, and then the third big theme that I noticed was this idea of resilience, the resilient design. Uh, which is sort of the the ability to recover quickly from disruptions like natural disasters um, or to resist disruptions so that you know you're, you're creating design that's not going to break easily if a natural disaster does occur um, and it's not just natural disasters it's um it's sort of looking ahead and saying okay the climate is now changing even the best predictions say that uh you know we've committed ourselves to some amount of climate change so can our cities and our buildings be resilient to changes in temperatures, uh, flooding, drought, extreme weather? Um, and can our buildings contribute to uh, better infrastructure like energy infrastructure and water infrastructure uh, on the urban scale? So yeah, that's, that's in a nutshell my report from Greenbelt. Okay, that'll make sense. Actually, I was thinking a lot about the, the energy part of resiliency uh, last winter when the, the power went out, you start to think, well, okay, well, sure it would be nice to have some power generation here. It'd be great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, interesting. Exactly. And, uh, you know, on-site power generation not only helps you, you know, if the power goes out, you actually have, at least have some power, you know, you can run your devices and heat your home and not freeze. Um, but it actually having all that distributed generation, you know, linked to get together in the right way, oftentimes means that the grid itself is less likely to uh, totally get, get destroyed. So it stays up in the first place. Yeah. That would be better. Yeah, definitely. Okay, okay good stuff, thank you. Ah, there's one other thing that I just wanted to uh, mention just because I'm super excited about it. Sure. Uh, it kind of relates to that to that uh, idea of net zero energy houses or buildings that I mentioned earlier. Um, I actually went on a tour a few weeks ago of uh, a new building that's going up here in New York. It's a multifamily residence, about 24 units, and it's being built to passive house standards. Um, passive house is an organization that certifies buildings that use very, very little energy. And the great thing about this, um, it's designed, by the way, by architect Chris Benedict. So I, I, I think that I, I'm mentioning her name because she deserves uh, props for this. What set out to design it, not just to passive house standards, but she wanted to prove that you could do that with no additional cost. So she set out to build this structure um, coming in at the same square foot cost that you would come in for any normal multifamily building in New York. And she did. Um, I toured the building. 
Uh, the units are great. They're wonderful. They're great, great light. Um, and very cozy. Just, uh, you know, we went on a tour with a, a number of people and just having, you know, 10 or 12 people standing in a room because the building is so well sealed and so well insulated, um, we're all, you know, giving off heat just standing there. And so the room started to warm up huh. uh, just from that, uh, which is kind of lovely. And so you can see how, you know, just having lights and appliances and the normal things that you do in your house on a daily basis is often enough to uh, heat it actually on all but the coldest days. Um, and uh, the way that she works that magic is the, the way that I described earlier. Um, they were able to dramatically reduce the size of the mechanical system. All they had was um, some very three uh, pretty small super efficient boilers in the mechanical room. And, um, and that was it. And they reinvested all that cost, essentially, all the, all the savings that they got from the mechanical systems into the building envelope and uh, broke even. So now, I, I think this is great. I think we're going to start to see more examples like this. And people are going to start to say, well, if it doesn't cost any more, why aren't we doing it? If it's better, why not do it? Yeah. My, my fear has been, uh, and my understanding of passive passes, it, it means um, thicker walls, uh, less windows. Is that true? That is a bit of a complicated question. Um, passive, well, it, because uh, I think the reason it's complicated is because the passive house standards have changed a little bit over the years, and there, there's been some confusion about what exactly it means. Um, the actual criteria um, that they have ended up settling on are, are a series of energy benchmarks. So passive house, um, a passive house building, the heating demand cannot exceed 15 kilowatt hours per square meter. Um, and the primary energy demand, um, which is the total energy for all uh, domestic uses, so heating, hot water, electricity, uh, cannot exceed 120 kilowatts per square meter. Um, and those numbers are about 90% uh, reduction from where a typical residence would land. Okay, and we're, we're talking pure performance here. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, they don't specify how you have to meet those goals. So they don't necessarily say you need this much installation or this much window area. Um, and I think that's a good thing, actually. I think it's good that they're not prescriptive. Um, but performance related. Um, historically speaking, yes, passive houses have tended to have very thick walls uh, so that they have lots of insulation and um, not too much glazing. Uh, but I, again, I, if, if I look at this project, um, the architects um, made some really in intelligent decisions to meet those goals in a way that actually you didn't necessarily have those issues. Um, the exterior walls were um, maybe a bit thicker than usual, but not, uh, not noticeably so. Um, and she did some sort of design gymnastics to make that happen. The exterior walls were not load-bearing walls. The load was all being, you know, uh, uh, the building was being supported by interior walls. Hmm. That were running perpendicular to the exterior, like a high rise, allowing the exterior to just sort of be purely insulation. You know, in terms of glazing, you don't necessarily need a whole lot of glass to have a nice sort of daylit 
feeling space. You just have to have it in the right spot. So sorry, that, that was a long answer to it, to a short. Uh, it, sometimes things are a little bit more complicated than I would like, and that, that that's okay. I appreciate you could go that you could go there. Yeah. The uh, so it sounds like there's been actually some huge innovations and, and some real progress in this area because I I, I the early pass, passive houses that I saw were kind of kind of grim looking, but it sounds like they're actually very warm and lovely now. Yeah, I think so. I I think that uh, like anything, the early prototypes are not going to necessarily live up to the full potential. Um, but as more and more people are getting trained on the standard and are experimenting and bringing their design expertise to bear, I think you're going to see a lot more examples like this one that are uh, beautiful and wonderful and comfortable and uh, much cheaper to run and use almost no energy. How, how long do you think until this becomes standard, until this becomes just, this is what a house is, this is how you do it? That's a good question, and that has a lot as much to do with uh, regulations and the marketplace as it does with the technology. I and mean, the technology is here today. Um, with homes, it's a bit trickier because I think that um, homes are lar largely built by developers, private developers, and I'm not sure that they're going to see um, a reason to do this unless required to by code. But you're seeing the codes moving. You're seeing um, building codes become more performance-based. And um, in fact, uh, one thing that uh, Ed Masria pointed out at Greenbuild was that um, the average energy efficiency uh, of the built environment in the past 10 years is actually exceeding the 2030 challenge goals that he set out. We win! Um, so we're Things are looking promising. I, I would kind of expect within the next 10 years that um, you know, this is going to catch on big time and you're going to see um, you know, if a building isn't net zero energy, people are going to wonder why not. I'm planning on attending some more events in the New York area. Um, there's actually a very active passive house community here and including some folks who are renovating some old brownstones and old buildings to pass cool. standards, which I'm very interested in because, uh, as you know, so much of our urban fabric is existing buildings that need to be renovated. And, you know, if we don't find a solution to that, just doing new buildings is not going to get us where we need to be. Yeah, we can't demolish everything. Yeah. That'd be bad anyway. Yeah.